pray. God, we love you. We thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to gather here together with like-minded people. We acknowledge that you are Lord in heaven. God, we cannot deny that your desire for us is that we become like your son. There's a heavy conviction within our lives that he walked this earth. Came to be our savior. Came to live life. So that we would know how to live life. So, Father, I pray that as we, we get into a topic today that certainly challenges our norm, it certainly challenges culture. I pray that we hear from you in any way. So we ask these things in your son's holy name. Amen. Um, here's something that we have said uh, for the past three or four weeks. Uh, it's a quote. Uh, from John Mark Homer that says, if you want to experience the life of Jesus, you have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. And so here's the reality. If I'm going to adopt his lifestyle, then there are certainly some things about my current lifestyle that must change. I mean, I mean that's it. If, if I'm going to look at Jesus, I'm going to pay attention to the three years that he spent in ministry doing things, and I'm going to look at his lifestyle, how he did things, then when I compare that to my lifestyle, there's going to have to be some changes on my part. And the question is, are you willing to change your lifestyle so, so that you can experience the life of Jesus? Like, like I need to ask that again. Like I'm getting some blank stares right now. And, I, and then this question matters because if, if, if not, why are we here? Are you willing to change your lifestyle so that you can experience the life of Jesus? Because here's the thing, most American Christians, man, we're pretty content with the life we already have. There's no need to change my lifestyle because life, all in all, is pretty good. Yes, there's some low moments in life. There's some valley moments where, you know what, life could be better. I may hate my job for a, a season of life, or there's stress right now at, at work, or there's illness in my life, or heaven forbid, we, we've had to even... We've even had death. I mean, there's certainly low moments in everybody's life. But then there's also high moments, too. Right? There's the really good moments. You got that promotion at work. You got those children's accomplishments. We, we got several of our people going to a baby shower today to celebrate life. There's these high moments. And then we then live most of our days in the middle. Between the highs, between the lows. And if there's enough balance right there, my life isn't that bad. So why change my lifestyle? And it boils down to this question for me. I've asked myself this question about my life and the way I live. Do I really believe that Jesus, or God the Father, knows what is best for my life. Do I really believe that? Do you, this morning, do you really believe that God knows what is best for your life? 
hated <clears throat> as a teenager. Some of y'all are going to relate to this because you're dealing with this with your mom and dad right now. I used to hate it as a teenager when I wanted to do something and my parents would say, no. Yeah? And, and I don't know about y'all, but I was told by my mom and dad that I could have an attitude. I don't know. I don't remember, but they seem to remember. And that when they told me no and said, no, Michael, you can't do this, that the attitude would come out and then there would be, and they say I used to argue a lot too. And not that arguing was going to get me anywhere, but I was going to argue, and that argument was not going to convince them of anything at this point. But as we're arguing, as we're going back and forth, I heard this more than once. We know what's best for you. I used to hate to hear that. Because I'm my own man as a teenager. Right? Like, I mean, I got my driver's license, you know, that you took me to get and you paid for. And I got my truck, little Ford F1, you know, little Ford Ranger that you that you bought for me at the... Guys, get this. My, Ford, my first truck, my parents bought at an Atlanta, Fulton County. D-O-T auction. It was a bright yellow bare bones work truck. And then they loved me so much, they painted it one year. Just maroon, right over it. Same color of these. And I mean, I'm talking about like we knew a guy that had a spray gun, and my parents gave him like, you know, some chickens and a couple hundred dollars, and that guy just painted, painted, painted right over the bright yellow so that when you watched it or if it rained hard, you know what it did? It, it knocked the maroon paint off. And so now I'm driving around in a maroon and polka dotted yellow truck. That, that, was my, that was my first vehicle. But you know what? I'm a man, and I know what's best for me. And they're like, no, you don't. You just think you do. And now as parents, God has entrusted you and I with the responsibility to raise children. And you know this, sometimes we have to say no to what our kids want to do because we know what is best for them. Do you, this morning, really believe that God knows what is best for your life? I mean, do you really, like, yeah, Michael, I know exactly, I know that whatever God tells me, man, that is what is best for me, and I need to do it. Like in our spirits, like, yeah, we're going to say, yeah, absolutely. I mean, because here's the thing. God knows us better than we know ourselves. The Bible tells us that. He is our creator. He is our designer. He knows how our bodies work. He knows how our minds operate. He knows everything about us, even the thoughts that we keep and, you know, a secret from our closest loved ones. He knows those about you. I mean, on day six, God's creating things. You know, he gets, he gets to the animals and the fish and the birds, all those are there. And we got to have somebody to take care of them, so he creates man. And, and I think this is just, everything else God spoke into existence. But, but this man is a little bit different. And so God just like, forms up some dirt on the ground. Now, I don't know how lumpy it looked or what it was. I don't know how detailed it was. But he formed this up, and then he <coughs> breathed into this pile of dust, and he gives life to humanity. 
He knows us on a more intimate level than we can imagine. So I come back. Do you really believe that God knows what is best for you? Do you believe that? There's an interesting thing about the creation story when it happened. There are three things within the creation story that get blessed by our Creator. Three things of, of, of everything that was created. And when I say everything that was created, everything that we know came out of the creation story. So everything happened, only three things get blessed. Can you remember what they are? The animals. He blessed the animals. I mean, he got through all the earth, you know, got, got light, got night, got water, got land, got moon, star, sun, all that's there, everything's there, it gets to the animals. He looks at the animals, all of them scurrying around, swimming, flying, doing their thing, and he tells them, you're blessed. He didn't bless the plants. I don't know why. He blessed the animals. Tell them to be fruitful and multiply. That's what he said. And then the next day, he got humans. And he says, you too are to be blessed. Tells Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply. And then there's this in Genesis chapter 2, verses 2 through 3. God blesses a day. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all the work that he had done in creation. God blessed the seventh day. So what's this word blessed mean? I mean, it's part of the creation story. What does it mean? Is it the same type of blessing that we use around here? Is it to say the blessing over the meal? Is it to bless someone with a gift? What is the word blessed? But what does it mean here in this creation story? So it's the same word that God uses with animals and humans. He, the direct command is be blessed, be fruitful, and multiply. Says that to the animals, says the same thing to humans. Be blessed, be fruitful, and multiply. And then he gets to the day. This is the day that is blessed. So it's the same word. And in Hebrew, the word blessed means to give life. That's what it means. That's why you can see the connection with animals and humans. Be fruitful and multiply, he says. The word blessed is to give life. It is filled with strength. Right? So that's what the word blessed means, to give life. So then he says this day is also holy. It's the first thing in the creation of mankind that is deemed holy. And that simply is to have is subject to special treatment. So the seventh day that we have is the day that God rested from his work. It's a day filled with strength that gives life, and it is subject to special treatment. That's what this day is all about. Now, once the Hebrew language came into existence, this day seven would then be known as the Sabbath. The Sabbath. The first time the word Sabbath is used in Scripture is found in the book of Exodus in actually chapter 16. Do you remember this? God freed the people 
from uh, the hands of bondage in Egypt, and he's feeding them, he's giving them all this manna, and, and in Exodus 16, he gives them this instruction. This is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow will be a day of complete rest, a holy Sabbath day set apart for the Lord. So that's the first time it's used. That's the first time that the word Sabbath is used in Scripture. It, it is a day set apart for the Lord. And he goes on, he tells them what to do, get your manna, bake it, boil it, it's all, get all you want today, but tomorrow you're not allowed to do anything. And then the second time we find the word Sabbath is when Moses is up on the mountain and God is establishing, establishing some ground rules for how the promised land will be governed, and he gives us the Ten Commandments. Exodus 20, verse 8. This is number four in the list of ten. Remember the Sabbath. Keep it holy. So now we've got day seven, which is this day of rest, right? We, we, we've got this day where God rested. It's a day that is blessed, that gives life. It's a day that is holy. It's set apart. And now God is coming on the scene with his people, and he's saying there's this one day that is supposed to be set apart, and we're going to call it the Sabbath. So what does that mean? What does Sabbath mean? And here's the thing. From John Mark Comer, he describes it this way. The word Sabbath comes to us from the Hebrew word Shabbat. All right, now you learned some Hebrew this morning. The word literally means to stop. You teenagers are driving you home today, you say Shabbat, and, and don't get it mixed up with anything else, all right? You, you stay there. The Sabbath is simply a day to stop. Stop working. Stop wanting. Stop shopping. Stop worrying. Stop. That's what we're going to go into the promised land. And we're going to live out our lives with ten commandments, and one of them being that on this one day of the week, we are going to stop. And Americans hate it. We hate the idea. We don't want to stop. Half of us don't even really really stop at stop signs. We just kind of roll through like it's a it's a moving stop. We don't like the idea. Well, the Israelites fumble the ball when it comes to entering into the promised land. God punishes them. He makes them wander around for 40 years. He kills off the generation of adults that, do, that did not trust him. And once again, we are about to go into the promised land. And so what does he do after 40 years goes by? He revisits the Ten Commandments and he says, okay, one more time, these are the rules that are going to govern you. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 12 through 15. We're going to read the whole command here. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your ox, your donkey, or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. 
that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. There's the entire commandment. And if you're reading through the list of the Ten Commandments, this is the longest one. This is the one that gets the most attention. So, interesting detail. We're going to talk about this in your life group this week. In Exodus chapter 20, the phrasing is, remember the Sabbath. In Deuteronomy, it's now, observe the Sabbath. What's the difference between remember and observe? Well, it's complicated, all right? To be honest with you, it's very complicated. Uh, it has to do with the Levitical law that took place between the original Ten Commandments uh, in Exodus and the one in Deuteronomy. God has given humans some simple commands. Here's the Ten Commandments. Follow these, and what the humans do, we always make things more complicated. We see this in every facet of life. You, we keep it simple. We can't help ourselves. We are going to make it more complicated. But don't, at the very beginning, it was don't eat this tree right over here. Everything else is good. We can't do that. And then it goes to 10. Well, then this 10 has to be expanded. And it was actually expanded that there are 39 different categories within the understanding of the Sabbath. 39 categories of things you can and cannot do. It gets extremely complex. And so the word observe here emphasizes the planning and the preparation. See, in Exodus, it was pretty, pretty easy. Remember the Sabbath. Hey, guys, you're not allowed to do anything. It's a day set apart for the Lord. It's a day of rest for the Lord. Time to run gets around. Now there's all this stuff. And so the word observe here emphasizes planning and preparation. And so think about it like Christmas. We just don't remember Christmas. I mean, Christmas happens every year. We know when it is. We observe Jesus' birthday as, as, as a church family and within your families. But we also know that there is so much more to Christmas than just Jesus' birthday. We buy gifts. For loved ones. All right, show them hands. I want to know. Who's already started buying Christmas presents for this calendar year? I got a couple. One, two, three. All right. Overachievers. All right. That's all right. I got you. Hey, good for you. Sorry, Stella. We have a start. <laughs> we buy gifts for loved ones. We prepare food. I mean, we go to the ends of the earth and we prepare fabulous meals and we do it with all different sides of the family and then we plan when we will celebrate with family members some of you are going to start celebrating christmas at thanksgiving some of you are going to go away for thanksgiving and you're going to have thanksgiving and then you're going to have some time where you exchange gifts and you do some things with with family all right we we we, we work out when we are doing what and how we are going to do it and then this year, it's one of those years, y'all got to decide. Are you actually going to come to church on Christmas? Because December 25th falls on Sunday. Y'all have already got some no's. I got some people shaking their head no back there. Nope, not going to be here. Count 
me out, right? There is scheduling and there's planning that is involved with observing Christmas, even if you have the most simple of Christmas traditions. It's a day of celebration that requires planning. And there's nothing wrong with it. That is the emphasis within the word observe. It's a special day, and it's worthy of being planned out. Look at the rest of Deuteronomy. Look at the passage. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On this day, you shall not do any work. And then he goes down the list. Your family should not do work on this day. Your animals should not do work on this day. Your, your hired hands should not do work on this day. The people that are visiting you should not do work on this day. God knew from our creation that mankind is created in a way that what is best for us is that we have six days of productivity. And we have six days where we work, where we play, where we run errands, where we shop, where we go, where we do. Six days of wide open when the sun comes up, you hit the ground running, and you don't stop until the sun goes down. Six days of, of you do as much as you can and need to. But there's one day where we stop. We rest our bodies. And in this day, it is centered all around the Lord. And it is centered around our needs being met. Jesus used to debate with the Pharisees all the time when it came to the Sabbath. They, they could not believe how Jesus treated the Sabbath. And in Mark chapter 2, there's one of these instances. We're going to read just Jesus' reply to them. Verse 27, Jesus said to them, he's talking to the Pharisees, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath because that's what we do as humans. We, we twist things around. And it became very legalistic. And Jesus meant, like, you guys are missing the point big time. This day was set aside to meet your needs. And then I love this, because he just, like, he's just poking the bear of the Pharisees right here. So the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. Well, they didn't like that at all. And so this day that Jesus says is set aside this command that I have yet to find anywhere in Scripture where God says, okay, you don't have to follow that one anymore just because you are a Gentile or you have a different culture. All right? This particular day, this mindset was set aside to meet the needs of people. So I ask you once again, church, if this day is to meet your needs physically, mentally, emotionally, the core of who you are as a follower of Jesus, if this day is set aside to meet those needs, do you really believe that God knows what is best for your life? He knows that you need 
frequent, that you need regular, dedicated time, restful time centered on Him. So the Sykes has tried it. 24-hour period of Sabbath. So this is what it looked like. This is, this is our first Sabbath experience. Alright? We started Friday night after the Austin football game. And let me tell you, yeah, Austin, boy. It's going to be a long We go to Waffle House when we go to Austin football games, home games. We always go to Waffle House. And so that was our thing. We're going to go to Waffle House and we get home and, and we're going to we're going to shut our devices down, right? Griffin was traveling, so we kept one kind of turned on, you know, just in case, because Mama, you know, wasn't going to get do that, all right? So Michael, Amanda, Griffin, we're the ones that did it. We turned off all our devices, okay? And uh, that, that, that's where it started. We, we, we slept, went to bed as normal. We slept late, no alarm clocks, all right? So that was, that was really nice. Got up. Uh, Stella wasn't into the breakfast thing. She wanted to keep sleeping, so man and I made breakfast. And then we simply did the breakfast dishes. Once Stella got up, there was some reading of Scripture. Okay? Uh, we prayed together. We played games that day. Uh, now go ahead and confess. All right? We did watch part of a football game, and it's because we knew two players from the team. They've actually been to this church multiple times, Brady Javon. They played Austin P, and so we watched. We watched a bit, a, just a little bit of that game. Once we found out they weren't playing that much, we turned it off. Okay? Um, what else? We took naps. We read. I read a lot. Uh, we talked. We talked. Undivided attention. We dreamed. We cooked dinner together. We ended up watching a movie last night. We sat outside, we listened, and we talked about the lyrics uh, of some of our favorite Christ-centered songs. That's, that's what we did. Here's what we did not do. We did not do chores in the house. And I'm telling you right now, life group, I apologize. Hey, the house is going to be a little bit messy tonight, and we didn't do chores. All right? I mean, they're, they're, yeah. It's never, like, super clean, but it's going to be a little bit worse tonight than normal because, hey, we did chores. And y'all go ahead and judge all you want. We didn't cut grass. All right? I, and, and, oh, my gosh, we not wash cars. I, I've been wanting to wash cars so bad because, man, they're, they're dirty, and I hate driving dirty cars. Oh, we did not get caught up on work. Amanda has lesson plans due today that have to be done. And she's like, now we're going to do these Saturday. And we've talked about this, like, for a couple weeks now, so it's not like this was a surprise. Um, but we didn't get caught up on work, all right? We did not pay bills. We did not run errands. I, I did, let me confess, I did have to go to the store for some sour drink because we made homemade tacos last night, and you can't, you know, homemade tacos got to have some sour cream on it, and we just felt that that's, you know, we're honoring Jesus for that, right? We did not spend time on our devices. There was zero social media for the day. I did check my phone a couple of times because I, I didn't tell anybody else that I was doing this. And so, you know, a couple of people have reached out to me. Caleb reached out to me with some stuff. And so I did have to, I replied to three text messages yesterday. Very simple. 
We did not binge watch any TV series. We stopped for a day. And it was weird. All right? I'm telling you right now. It, it really was. It, it, it was. it was so out of the norm. Uh, There's a list of things to do around our house, and yesterday was a perfect day to get several of those things done. I've got big, huge limbs down that need to be cut up for some firewood. I've got a tree down that needs to be cut up. Uh, Weed eating that needs to be done. Windows that need to be cleaned. I mean, there's all this stuff that, that are on the list of things to do and wanted to do them, and we're not. And I'm telling you, it was weird. It was weird sitting in my recliner when the sun is out and the TV was off. And I was reading during the daylight hours. I always read early in the morning or read late at night. And it was weird to look there. I mean, there's this, this light coming in and it just it wasn't normal for us. It was weird seeing things that need to be done in our house and not doing them when we had the time to do them. I was like, man, this microwave is like really dumb. Like, how come I didn't notice that yesterday? I don't know. I noticed it, I mean, or two days ago. But man, that microwave really, and I'm like, no, we're not doing, we're not doing chores that we are, we are stopping. We asked, hey, what time is it? And you know what we had to do? Find a clock in the house because we did not have a device right there at us. I mean, there's one point in time it was like, okay, I'm just going to pull my computer out and, and look at this and, and, and boom. And, and here's the thing, and I know I'm not selling this right now. I know I'm not, all right? But just hang with me. I cannot say that I woke up today and I'm feeling any different. I, I don't think that there's a, a great sense of a renewed spirit from one day off. I'm not saying that I woke up and, man, I'm just flowing with added energy. Guys, you should go run out and do this right now. But here's the truth about neglected disciplines in our lives, and it's a truth you already know. It takes time to see results. Just like dieting. You're not going to see results after one day of dieting. It takes days. It takes weeks. It takes routine to see results. From the book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, he says there is a discipline to the Sabbath that is really hard for a lot of us. It takes a lot of, here's my word, intentionality. It won't just happen to you. It takes planning and preparation. It takes self-control. The capacity to say no to a list of good things, a list of good things, so that you can say yes to what is best. The Sabbath is the primary discipline or practice by which we cultivate the spirit of restfulness in our lives as a whole. Because the Sabbath isn't just a 24-hour time slot in our weekly schedule. It's the spirit of restfulness that goes with you throughout the week. How many times have we put up the Matthew passage where Jesus asks you, are you weary? Are you burdened? And he says, come and follow me because my way of doing things is is easy. My yoke is easy, and there is rest for you when you come to me and you live life the way I want you to live life. And church, I'm telling you right now, a regular, frequent period of time in your life where you just come to a stop is part of the equation. And it takes self-control, the capacity to say no 
to a list of good things. I love being outdoors. I love being active. I love the opportunity to go out and, and work and see that I've been productive and I can see something. And it was difficult to just sit there. We have to learn to say no to everyday run-of-the-mill chores and activities. We had to do that yesterday so that we could say yes to dedicated time with God. And here's the thing. As odd as the day was compared to the norm, it was refreshing last night, to be honest with you. It was just a different, you know what? That, that just wasn't what we're used to. But, but as we went through the day and we played silly games and we had conversations and we sat outside talking and we did all of those things, it was refreshing. You know, we have talked this entire series so far about these things that distract us from God. We talked a couple weeks ago about consumerism and, and, and all the stuff that we feel we have to have in our lives to make life easier, but really and truly, they take time. And then we talked last week about the pace of life and how we always are on the go, on the go, on the go, on the go. Where is their time for God? Because the number one excuse I get from people who are not giving dedicated time, and I'm talking about just some quiet time in the morning, no, not, I'm not even talking about long periods of time, is I do not have the time. And God's command is, you do all that stuff in six days. You live for me every single minute of every day. But on one day, it is dedicated to me, and it is about stopping. So how do we respond today, this morning, to God's word? Well, here's the thing. And I know we've got to be careful here. Don't take this the wrong way, but I think you should test God. He says it. Try him out. I mean, what's he gonna what's he gonna hurt you to look at your calendar, to sit down with your family and the decision makers in your family and say, hey, you know what? We are going to block off 12 hours, 24 hours, whatever it is. It needs to be an extended amount of time. And, and, and we're gonna try this. Hey, look here, we didn't do it perfect yesterday. I don't even know what perfect is in our culture when it comes to, to taking Sabbath. We got some things we want to do this next week. All right, we have some things we want to do different in the future. But I think you should, this is our response, you should. All right, God's word says it. I'm going to try it. And if he says that he knows me better, why not test him? God knows best. Whether you trust him or not, his ways are better for you, okay? So I say, make a concerted effort to work extended periods of time in your schedule to stop. Make it a family event. This needs to be done on a regular basis. It was done every single week. And I haven't found anywhere in Scripture where it says, hey, we should stop doing it, okay? Now, I can make the argument that it does not have to be done on the Friday evening, Saturday evening, which is where the Jews would have placed it into the calendar, okay? We can make the argument that it does not have to be there, all right? But there needs to be a time in your week where you, 
as a family are just stopping. You are saying no to everything but God, family, and rest. You need to avoid as much of our cultural norms as possible. You need to get into God's word on this day. And I'm not saying don't watch a football game. I promise you next week I'm watching a football game. Okay? I'm not saying, but I'm just saying you've got to, you've got to regulate these things. If, if I'm giving Auburn and Mercer more time next week than I am the Lord, I'm missing the point. If I'm binge-watching whatever TV series is on, then I am missing the point. It is about stopping and not doing. It is about saying no to the culture. Sabbath is an idea of blocked off time where our souls and our bodies find rest in the Lord. Man decides does not find rest in anything that she watches on. Okay, I'm just telling you that right now. God has blessed this day to give life to your life. And here's the thing. This is interesting. I've read several books on spiritual disciplines. Richard Foster, Dallas Willard's got two great ones. Right. I've read several articles on the disciplines of, of, of slowing down, the disciplines of Sabbath. And the people that I've read, and maybe they're just trying to sell it, I don't know what kind of money they're making on anything, but the people that I've read, no one regrets it. I, I've yet to find the person that said, I tried Sabbath for an extended period of time, and I'm telling you, it was a complete waste of time. I have yet to find the person that said, you know what, I slowed down enough and I brought more of just a long time, dedicated time with God, and I regret it. I've yet to find that person. They all desire Sabbath, and they all crave the next Sabbath opportunity. Because life is better with it. Hebrews chapter Four. We're about to wrap up. Okay, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 9. says, So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Don't miss verse 11. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the hearts. And how many times have we read Hebrews 4.12 and we never even, we never even factored in the rest of the the rest of the, the, the flow of that text there. He is talking about the Sabbath and he is encouraging them. He says, strive to enter into this. Our lifestyle should be We stop and give God time. Our current lifestyle is terrible. We stop and rest only when we are on the verge of burnout or breakdown. So let us strive to enter that rest. We're going to take the communion packets out. Should we open them up? So the question has been asked a lot, do you really trust, do you really believe 
that God knows what is best for your life. You know, on a Sunday morning as we sing songs and we participate in communion, offering, and you listen to me. Oh yeah, that's why I'm here. That's why I'm here when others aren't. Do we really trust him? Do we really think that God knows what's best for my life? In Isaiah 25, there's an image of a feast that's taking place. I'm going to read the whole passage, but listen to these words. In Jerusalem, the Lord of heaven's armies will spread a wonderful feast for the people of the world. It will be a delicious banquet with clear, well-aged wine and choice meats. There he will remove the cloud of gloom, the shadow of death that hangs over the earth. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away all tears. He will, will remove forever all insults and mockery against his land and people. The Lord has spoken. In that day, the people will proclaim, this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. This is the Lord, Lord in whom we trust. Let us rejoice in the salvation that he brings. That's my challenge to you this morning as we take, as we partake in a feast together. Let us trust in him who has saved us. Let us trust in the Lord. Let us rejoice in the salvation that he brings. So let's take and eat this bread together. I know the feast that we are partaking right now isn't what is described here with choice wine and choice meats. That feast awaits. That feast awaits because of the feast that he will bring about. Let us take the wine that represents the blood, that washes away our sins. God, we come before you and we are grateful for the sacrifice that your son made. God, we are grateful that you loved us so much you know what is best for our lives. You know that we needed a savior. You know that we needed our sins to be forgiven so that we could spend eternity with you. But God, you also said that if we will listen to you and that we will trust you, on this side of heaven, we can experience you. We can experience you in a different way than, than what we're accustomed to. And so, Father, I, I pray that when we leave here today, we walk out of here with this understanding that you have created us in a way where we function better, where we are healthier where our emotional state, our mental state, our physical state, all of these enhance when we actually are obedient to you and do what you have asked us to do. So God, I pray for a church that is wide open, busy, and active, and productive for six days. 
God, I pray for pray for the Sabbath. I pray that we will stop and that we will experience you. God, we're, we're, we, we got the stopping down, but we fill it with things not you. And so, Lord, I pray that you are the center of our desires. I pray that our families are reunited. I pray that our families are different. I pray that our health increases. I pray that we see the fruit of the benefit of stopping, dedicating this time to you. Restore our lives, God. Restore them through Sabbath. We love you and we ask this in